Broadcasting to you this evening uh, with uh, heavy hearts. It is what we uh, predicted what occurred. Uh, we uh, are witnessing Europe back at war. Um, a week ago, two weeks ago, and three weeks ago, I had said on this era that war was inevitable. That there was no averting it because there were no rational people in the room. Not a single person who was able to understand what the issues actually were. And while the United States is, uh, and Europe are trying to bludgeon Russia for having invaded the Ukraine, uh, I have a different take. And I dare say that what I'm going to share with you, while not popular, is nonetheless true. The world's political and military alliances do not diminish the threat of war. They increase the threat of war. Uh, we all know that is exactly what happened in World War I and again in World War II. It has happened again. NATO did prevent the invasion of the Ukraine, it caused the invasion of the Ukraine. Without NATO, there would never have been an invasion. What happened with the Ukraine was uh, set to play out like the Cuban Missile Crisis. The United States placed missiles in Turkey along the Russian border. immediately after Turkey became part of NATO. And Russia was threatened, so Russia responded by putting missiles in Cuba. The United States had a conniption fit that missiles would be so close to its population centers, and so it blockaded Cuba and threatened Russia. 
and Khrushchev and Kennedy negotiated what was an intelligent solution. I'm not sure there are any intelligent people left in our world. I think that between the progressives where evidence and reason no longer matters and the conservatives who are so wrapped up in the underwear of conspiracy, there are no thinkers left. But Khrushchev and Kennedy came to the conclusion that we, uh, we can uh, avoid the unthinkable, which is war between nuclear powers. If we agree never to include Cuba as part of the United States, not to make Cuba part of any U.S. military alliance, not to invade Cuba, and to remove our missiles from Turkey. And for that, we avoided war. This is the same thing. Putin wants to protect his people and say, you know, what you're doing with uh, Ukraine is exceedingly troubling for our people. You're fast-tracking them to become part of NATO, and you're weaponizing them along our border. That is not acceptable. So we're going to get your attention. We're going to put 100,000 troops along the border, and then we're going to tell you this is the problem. Do not allow the Ukraine to be part of NATO and remove your weapons. Demilitarize it. The one thing that the weekend at Bernie's administration, run by progressives, said is that's a non-starter. We won't even discuss it. They want to be part of NATO. We're going to make them part of NATO, and we're not going to demilitarize them. Well, at that point, there was no option other than war, because if he waited and Ukraine became part of NATO, then by attacking them, you we have to start a war. into mm-hmm. World War. Mm-hmm. So he had no choice. And then to make matters worse, rather than trying to, to go back to the drawing board and say, all right, all right, we get it, I get it. Let's, uh, that was a bad idea to make Ukraine part of NATO. It's a bad idea for us to take them over anyway. They're costing us a fortune. They're crooks. Uh, why don't we uh, uh, just do the right thing and we'll de-escalate this by demilitarizing it, and it all goes away. No, we instead started kicking sand in Putin's face, spitting at him, cursing him. And we will continue to make things uh, so bad that he will have nothing to lose to keep on moving west. And we will have egged him on, given him no option. Personally, I thought that Putin uh, scored the victory he needed when uh, he uh, declared the Russian separatist areas independent and went in as a peacekeeping force. That was brilliant. But uh, the West did not take kindly to it and uh, started imposing sanctions to the point where he had nothing to lose. Well, almost nothing. The report out of the Ukraine now uh, is that some 3,000 Russians have been killed. They've lost uh, almost 100 uh, tanks and aircraft. I'm here to tell you that if the death toll continues like that, um, then Putin is not going to fight this war the way that it has been fought these first few days, which is with minimal casualties. 
he will do what America does and bomb the country into submission. It is what we did in Iraq with uh, yeah. with our did, yeah. initial, yeah. What was they called? Shock Something and awe. awe. Shock and Shock awe. And Shock and awe. awe. Oh, we were so proud of ourselves. We killed a million people. We should be so proud. So that is where we are. Uh, and everything we're doing uh, is pushing the world towards uh, world war. So we need an adult in the room, and I don't think we have one. So that's where I think we are tonight. Um, I, uh, all I can tell you is that if the death toll mounts, then you will put Russia in a position where they have no choice but to fight the war as America fought in Iraq. And a lot of people are going to die. And, of course, one of the things that this does, and I had uh, predicted this some many months ago, uh, that when Xi and Putin last met, one of the subjects that they undoubtedly discussed is coordinating the attack on Taiwan and the attack on the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Now, um, China, the moment the Olympics were over, began to fly their military aircraft uh, over Taiwan again. Uh, They have released press releases saying that Taiwan is theirs, so it has nothing to do with the Ukraine. It has, uh, it's not like the Ukraine. It is always theirs, will continue to be theirs. They'll take it any time they want. Now, the difficulty is that the death toll for the Chinese, the red Chinese, to invade Taiwan will be astronomical. Uh, Not that Z would care. As we watch the sands and man's time glass trickle to zero, we are seeing why God's two hellish wars, all within the last three to three and a half years of uh, man's existence uh, in his present state on this earth. I'm going to read something to you, then we're going to return to where we were on uh, um, last week's program. Uh-huh. But I'm going, to, I'm going to jump ahead, and I'm going to read something that, uh, that I translated uh, yesterday and today from Yaketzel, Ezekiel. I've been doing this a long time, Kirk, almost 21 years. Yes, sir. This is the, this is the saddest, most graphic, most emotional thing that uh, I have yet translated. The word of Yahweh came to be with me to say, Son of man, establish your presence against the high places of Israel and prophesy against them. Say, prominent and high places of Israel, you should listen to the word of my upright one, Yahweh. This is what Yahweh, my upright one, says to the prominent and high places and to those at a lower elevation, to the depressed and to the proud, behold, I myself will come, bringing a sword over you. Then I will destroy your places of worship. Your altars will be devastated 
and desolated. And the religious imagery reminiscent of your idolatrous worship, including blowing smoke on behalf of false gods, will be scrutinized and broken. And then I will bring down and then cast down your deceased who are defiled before your religious dung. I will place the corpses of the descendants of Yisrael in the presence of their disgusting religious symbols and the excrement they have exclaimed. And I will scatter your essential essence, even your bones, all over your religious idols. Wherever you dwell, those cities will be laid waste and desolated, while the sites of religious worship will be left destitute. As a result of the damage they have done, your religious altars will lie in ruins. The religious things you have venerated will be shattered while observing the Shabbat. The religious imagery reminiscent of your idolatrous sun worship, including your propensity to blow smoke on behalf of false gods, all of your customs and practices will cease to exist, and they will be wiped away and blotted out. When the slain fall in your midst, then you will know without question, I am Yahweh. I will leave a remnant so that there will be some survivors who escape the sword among you, along with some Gentiles here where you were scattered throughout the earth. Those who have escaped and have been spared among you will be reminded of me and they will proclaim the truth about me along with the Goyim from other ethnicities where, from where they had been oppressed. This is where, as a result of the relationship, I was crushed over their unfaithful thinking and their disloyal inclinations as they have turned away from me. And as a result of this disloyal and despised viewpoint, regarding the things they worship and venerate, right to the end. They have remained divided and self-destructed, especially repugnant, even among themselves, for their wrongful shepherding and immoral associations, which they have engaged in, for all of their detestable abominations and their repulsive religious behavior. We have a fellow that uh, writes very well. Um, Unfortunately, his mind is poisoned by Judaism, and he can't think past his Talmud, uh, that uh, took exception when I said that God despises the Talmud, hates Judaism with a passion. Mm-hmm. And uh, the claim that Judaism was actually the most damaging thing that's ever happened to Jews. And claims, no, no, you know, the, the Torah doesn't say that. There was no Judaism at the time of the Torah, therefore it's not true. 
Yeah, well, it begs to differ. There is no way to interpret what I just read any other way than Yahweh is going to annihilate Jews. He'll leave a few to honor the promise of Yom Kippurim. But most, he's going to kill. And there's a tendency, I would think, and I didn't share any of the commentary I wrote on uh, on this, but there's the tendency no, I would think that uh, for people to think, well, that's awfully harsh. It's unfair. That's mean. But no, I think your animosity is uh, wrongly placed, should you think that. God has warned them countless times over 1,000 years. Don't be religious. Religion is deadly. Don't do it. And nonetheless, they have done it. And they have done it claiming to speak for him. What's really cruel is to have had this warning and to continue to taunt God by continuing to be religious. This is not what God wants to do. It's what he has to do. So you think you have problems with the Ukraine? I wanted to put that in perspective. God is within, what, 12 years now Mm -hmm. of having to wipe out the majority of his people. And he's not just going to do it painlessly. No. He's going to scatter their bodies and mix their ashes with the religious rubbish they venerated. And as you get deeper into Ezekiel, he doubles down. He says, this is my testimony for the last days. This is the end of you. What you've done is an abomination. You're repulsive. And I'm going to do to you what you have done to others. So excuse me for starting off on a fairly... uh, (coughs) Uh, downbeat note, but actually it is uh, exceedingly positive. I know that uh, might sound surprising, but it is. Uh, Even this uh, invasion of the Ukraine is exceedingly positive. And you might wonder why. Because Yahweh told told us it would happen this way. And with everything that he has affirmed will happen, he his credibility source. We know that he inspired these words and we can trust him. And he has given us an out, a way to avoid all of it. The opportunity to live forever. The opportunity to be perfected. The opportunity to become part of his family. To inherit all that he has to give. To be enriched, to be empowered. And the very fact that he has told us this and has been consistent over the thousand years of revelation is the good news. You can choose the covenant. It's there for the taking. But you're going to have to walk away from religion first. That said, uh, we'll sneak back a couple of passages from where we were at the end of uh, of the program last week. Um, This was Yashaya 41.8. And when we were reading this, uh, Kirk, I I Mm -hmm. had thought that this was about as harsh 
as Yahweh was going to be regarding his people. Yeah, I knew that Hosha, which I've subsequently translated since we've written this, uh, it's harsh, it's blunt. God's not happy with his people, but um, Yahshua yeah, is mild compared to Ezekiel. In fact, uh, Elia is a patsy compared to Ezekiel. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's not even fair because none of those words were Ezekiel's. They were Yahweh's. Yahweh's words. Yeah. And for those that, that would say, uh, you know, you're wrong, I'm, I'm telling you, this is what God said. And so you ought not be attacking me. You've got far bigger problems than me. You can try to win the argument against me, and it will get you nothing. And you can't win it against God. That was not the intent, however. God says, you are Yisrael, individuals who engage and endure with God. My coworker, Jacob, whom to show the way to the benefits of the relationship I chose and I tested as the seed of Abraham, my love. There's some aspects of that I just want to highlight, and that is that Yisrael is a uh, double-edged shekel. On one side, you've got the uh, heads, and the other side, you've got the tail. And the head is an individual who is empowered by and liberated by God, individuals who engage and endure with God. And on the asinine side, you have those who struggle and strive against God. Yes, mm-hmm. Sarah L means both. Jacob is a, uh, is a name that can go both ways. It is reward or consequence. He grabbed the heel of his uh, brother, tried to uh, circumvent, to overachieve, but he also dug in and was stubborn, embedding his heels. He was not the firstborn, but God uh, chose to hate his brother. And he hated his brother because his brother chose to be violent, murderous, and uh, religious. Tested is an interesting word. Bashar is both chose and mm-hmm. tested, wanted and preferred, desired and selected, examined and success and assessed. You know that to be part of the covenant, we come in the same way Abraham did. Mm-hmm. And there's an entire chapter of Barashith called the test. Abraham was tested. Fortunately, he was given the Torah, so for him it was an open book test. We have the Torah too. And so for us, it is an open book test. There's no excuses. We ought to get it right. But understand there is a test and that we must pass it to be part of the covenant. Lastly, I want to share something that uh, I have a tough time with, honestly. I, uh, okay. Yahweh loves Ahab. Abraham. Mm-hmm. I don't even like him. I don't like him. Now, I don't like Abraham uh, for uh, 
two reasons, really. One I've shared many times, which is that uh, I am inspired by intelligence. I am bored by stupidity. I'm not going to say Abraham was stupid, but he certainly wasn't bright. His responses to God were never um, inspired. Were you? No. Yeah, never. Oh, not, not. Moshe was brilliant. Node was brilliant. Um, no. There isn't a no. single statement by uh, by Abraham that would uh, would rally to that uh, cause. Mm. Okay. Uh, and the second reason, so I, I'm just bored with him. I, 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 you know, I wouldn't, I, I do not find him inspiring. Uh, Dode I find inspiring. Moshe I find inspiring. Yasha, yeah, I love. Uh, Elia, I mean, to be sarcastic, you've got to be smart. I love Elia. Uh, Zachariah, his, the way he explains uh, Yom Kippurim is so brilliant. Anyway, uh, the second reason is, and it's the primary reason, he twice pimped out his, his, uh, his wife for financial gain. Not once, mm-hmm. but twice. Uh, Sarah, God, respected. Sarah was somebody that God talked to. Sarah name is emblazoned in the middle of Yisrael. Sarah, God says, is your mother, if you're a covenant. And yet, Abraham traded her for sheep and goats and donkeys. That's uh, not my thing. But right here it says, God loves Abraham. So I'm sure he sees something in him I, I don't see. Um, and maybe uh, we'll come to uh, love him too. Uh, but um, right now, all I can say is, if God can love Abraham... I got a shot. Yeah, man. We're, we're doing just fine. Yeah. Well, you are Israel. Yahweh is encouraging you to act like it. As a result of the relationship, I will restore and enable you, reestablishing and empowering you from the far extremities of the earth, from the most distant parts of the planet, and away from its most powerful people. I will come out to you at that time. I will call out to you at that time. Mm-hmm. reading and reciting an invitation to meet and welcome you individually. And I will say to you, my coworker, you are my coworker. I have chosen and evaluated you and I will no longer reject or spurn you. So, Kirk, we have to keep one thing in mind here. This is obviously, absolutely, unequivocally speaking of the last days. This has not yet occurred. God's telling us what's going to occur at the single most pivotal point in human history. This is literally do or die. And it begins with, as a result of the relationship, Asher. Mm -hmm. I am ready to restore you, enable you, reestablish you, empower you, Shazak. 
I want to repair and strengthen you. Who's you? Yisrael. Yeah. Enabling you to recover and prevail. Mm -hmm. And doing so from the far extremities of the earth, from the most distant parts of the planet, from its most powerful people. And the time that he's calling his people, the time that he is prepared to restore and and empower them is a kara. It's a mikra. Mm-hmm. He's calling out. He's reading and reciting an invitation. He's issuing a summons to welcome us individually into his presence. Kara is the verb that sits at the heart of one of the most important titles throughout God's Torah teaching, Mikra. Mikra in the plural. Mm-hmm. Kara is the verb. First thing God says to the restored, the enabled, the empowered Israel is what? You're my co-worker. He says, fear not. Oh, you're, you're oh, my I'm co-worker. Sorry, like okay. You are my co-worker. Yeah. If you don't understand that about God, you don't understand God. What did Adam do in the garden? He worked it. Mm -hmm. What does Yahweh call his son, Dode, the Messiah? My co-worker, my associate. What does he call Moshe? My co-worker, my associate. If you don't like work, if you don't Mm -hmm. appreciate the value of work, you're not going to like God very much. If you're among those that wants the government to take care of you, that wants a, uh, a handout that thinks they're, they're deserving of entitlements, then you're not going to like being around the rest of us in the covenant. We're here to, to work, to do a job. I get up every day before the sun. And I come into this study and I work at it. I do a job. Work has become a pejorative for many, drudgery. For me, it's the most fulfilling thing in the world. You add value, you contribute. Your life becomes meaningful. Each day has value. Work is a really good thing. I understand the uh, Hasidics and uh, ultra-Orthodox Judaism don't buy into that concept. They have uh, taken the not-working to an extreme. But that's not God's style. And last, he says, I have chosen and evaluated you again from Bashar. We ought to recognize that there are two aspects of being the chosen people. And that is that while God chose Yisrael, including Yahudah, They chose not God, the overwhelming preponderance of them. And so we have to accept Yah's invitation to benefit from it. And that's why there is this evaluation. So you have received an engraved invitation from God. If you're Yisrael, if you're Jewish, are you going to answer it? 
Are you going to continue to cling to your Talmud? I think you began your study uh, this week in those two mm-hmm. statements. Kirk, uh, you want to add uh, something from the words you studied? Well, not so much as much as I would like to say that, uh, you know, for many, many years, when every week I do this and I go through all the things that you write, uh, trying to prepare as much as I can for the program. Uh, it's, it's irrelevant to me whether I speak much or not. But I, because I, I enjoy it. I mean, I truly, truly do. But I can honestly say that uh, if you want to argue with this stuff, like the uh, some of the people that are sending you stuff and will be sending you stuff, emails and all, you need to get down and read the stuff yourself and and figure out that uh, and they give you all the tools. Ninety percent of everything I've done uh, this week has been emphatically. Yeah, that's exactly what it says. That's exactly what it says. And then I go off on my little tangents on the other 10% where I dig up stuff and there's fun to me in letters and everything. But uh, there's no way you can come out with a different conclusion. I'm sure when I get to Ezekiel on those things, as harsh as it is to hear, that I'll discover that, yeah, that's exactly what he said because he's very plain. I, I find it thrilling it's just that you can figure this out. I mean, yeah. I never thought I would. But uh, so, and it's not that hard. It uh, it does take some uh, some a, a lot consumed. of one two. It takes one two. Yeah, it's, it's a, a lot desire. of one yeah. Uh, yeah, one two. Yeah. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged or dismayed, for I am your God. I will empower you so that you grow strong. You're established, courageous. In addition, I will assist and help you, so that I can accept and uphold hold you with my vindicating right arm. God doesn't want us to fear him. He wants us to be with him. He doesn't mm-hmm. want us to be anxious, um, but instead, not apprehensive. doesn't want us to be discouraged or dismayed. He wants us to be positive. You know, it's something that I recognized a long, long time ago. There are a lot of handicaps in the world. There's only one of them that is totally debilitating, a bad attitude. Yeah. And God doesn't want to be around people with a bad attitude. Be upbeat. The other thing that's interesting about this, too, is that if you look at the people God respected, they all had a strong backbone. They had character. Um They were courageous. They were bold. They were blunt. Damn the torpedo kind of guys. Mm -hmm. That's what God likes. And he will enable us to be just that. What a promise. Yeah. One of the other things that's really interesting is that azar is the Hebrew word for help. It was used to describe why Chawa was given to Adam in the garden. But uh, azar was written here, spoken here, in first person. And who's the speaker? Yo. I yeah. will help. So, rather than this notion of us um, serving God, no, God says, I'm going to help you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think he said about three times, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a concept. I will assist and help wow. you. I will come to your aid. One of the reasons he's going to help us is that so he can accept us. I get it. Okay, without his help, 
we probably wouldn't be. <laughs> we ain't going to make it. No. Well, worth it's accepting. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, because of that well, maybe assistance. That's, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was, I was going to say, maybe that's what he saw in Abraham. He knew he could really make something out of it. He was a piece of crap so many times, like so many of us. But yes. uh, he can see past it. And, and believe me, when we all get there together, we will be an improved us. And uh, yeah. this is and, this is the test. And uh, he walks away. In, in, in Abraham's defense, Abraham yes. did something that perhaps one in a million are willing to do. He walked away from Babylon, mm-hmm. from right. the commingling of truth and lies, from the birthplace of religion, uh, organized, institutionalized religion. And so that's that is laudable. Second. Abraham passed the test. He did everything God asked him to do. He passed the test. And so those two things uh, has God looking at him favorably. And uh, when God anoints us with his set of parts, we're bathed in light. So there is no darkness uh, available to see. Right. So Mm -hmm. he's seeing Abraham at his best. And Abraham, in his best, is an inspiring character. Someone that God could say, yeah, I love him. He, he, yeah. At the end, he got the it. Hard, you know, Craig, the hardest thing to do that I've been, that I've, when hundreds of people I've talked to, the hardest thing to do is walk away. They just can't leave it. It is. They can't yeah, leave like it Like this fellow that's, uh, that's he's an articulate writer. But when it comes to his religion, he can't think. He's just dumbstruck. And mm-hmm. so the reason that Yahweh will be annihilating most of his people uh, is because they can't leave the religion. They will be religious right to the end, even as the world is crashing down upon them. So here, the creator of the universe, the author of life, is offering to help his people, because he wants to accept and uphold his people, which should make you feel special, welcome, desired. But it should also motivate you to grasp hold of his hand. Absolutely. And it's really hard to do if you don't know who he is. And uh, religious Jews still will not say his name. Considering what comes next, somebody may want to warn the progressives, the conspiratorialists, and the jihadist before they go full retard. Here and now, I will humiliate and insult to the point of despair all of those who have been contentious with you and competition with you or jealous of you. They will have consistently chosen their enduring fate, which is to be negated ceasing to exist. Each individual who was antagonistic towards you, quarreled or fought against you, or was opposed to you, will be exterminated. And should you inquire about them, you will not find them. Those people who have bickered and squabbled against you, especially those who battle against you, will be gone ceasing to exist, having chosen 
their eternal fate, which is the state of nothingness. Yeshaya 41.12 Well, Kirk, here we, uh, mm-hmm. we find that um, God isn't uh, the all-accepting, all-loving being that uh, Christians would have him be, nor is he the all-condescending, uh, punishing God of Judaism. No, he has a criteria. No, and, and Judaism... A religious Jew thinks that God doesn't care about them until they're being punished or somehow harmed, and it's that uh, their God is paying attention to them when he is uh, badgering them, because it's somehow that will make them more righteous. So the Jewish God is a perpetual tormentor. The Christian God is perpetually loving. They are the opposites of one another. Of course, the Islamic uh, God is uh, uh, a torturer and a jihadist, uh, so he is a real special character, too. Yeah. Yahweh is, uh, is disgusted by religion. He finds it humiliating, and it would be humiliating if you're God. You're God, for crying out loud, and your own people whom you, you formed a relationship with, whom you saved from 400 years of slavery, whom you led across the desert to the promised land, whom you gave your Torah teaching in their language, in their presence, that those people, after you did all that for them, chose fake gods over you chose the arguments among men and the Talmud among your, over your Torah teaching. That is humiliating. You, you sacrificed your soul on Pesach and endured Sheol to ransom them and us on Matzah so you could reward us by adopting us into your family And they said, no, we'd rather be religious. That's humiliating. And one of the themes of the prophets running all the way through to the very end is God's going to teach them and treat them in kind. He's going to be absolutely fair. You know, it's one thing that if you read these comments in Ezekiel in here, uh, Mm -hmm. religious Jews deny the existence of Sheol. They say that Sheol, hell, doesn't exist. Well, I'm here to tell you that not only are they going to find it, it's going to be the most familiar place in the, in the world to them. Everything they venerate is going to be right there with them. So here and now, I will humiliate and insult to the point of despair all of those who have been contentious with you and in competition with you are jealous of you. When we read this, we're not quite as bothered by it, at least I'm not, as when God says, I'm going to annihilate my people. And uh, yeah, the reason is, is pretty simple, is that folks like the fake Estadians, the progressives, so many, the conspiratorialists have said and done so many stupid things against Jews. The Roman Catholic Church has tortured Jews for, a, for over a thousand years. Uh, 
the Nazis and Europeans led their pogroms against Jews. And that's one of the things, by the way, I wanted to say about the Ukraine since we're on this subject. Ukraine. What sure. that goes around comes around. Yeah. The, the nation that was the worst to Jews, that killed the highest percentage of Jews per capita, that was the most gruesome and torturing Jews, taking young babies and pulling off their arms and legs in front of their parents, then decapitating their parents, throwing little children against the wall, crushing their skulls. They were animals. And so for the people that bludgeoned God's people, I say what goes around comes around. God is fair. You are getting what you deserve. So when we read this, those who have harmed Jews, who have spoken out against Jews, which would be most of the world, mm-hmm. are going to get what they have dished out. They chose to humiliate and degrade Jews. They chose to negate Jews. They're going to be negated. They're going to be humiliated. Each individual who was antagonistic towards Israel will be exterminated. Not going to be a lot of people left, are there? <laughs> um, that was a nervous laugh, not a laugh. No, uh, yes, man, there's was, not going to be a no, lot of people I, left. No. You know, when I was uh, translating that uh, portions of Ezekiel today, I, I did the kind of the extension on what God is saying. And my summation is that it's going to be one in a thousand Israelites and one in a million Goyim. Hmm. That ain't a lot. That's not a lot. I mean, that no, means sir. that in, in, in the end there'll be about twice as many Israelites as there will be Goyim. Uh, there's about 8 billion people on the planet, about 15 million Jews. So if it's one in a thousand uh, Jews and one in a million uh, Goyim, then uh, there'll be twice as many Yehudim and Yisraelites in Shamaim as there are Goyim. Um, but um, I think those are the numbers. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is clearly unlike any other time. Those who are opposed to God's people and his place will be shamed for their derogatory attitude, and then they're going to remove, be removed not only from the land, they're going to be wiped off the face of the earth. Only then will Yisrael live in peace. This is because I am Yahweh, your God, who is restoring, empowering, and reestablishing you. And it is I who say to you, you should not be intimidated or frightened. I myself will be assisting you. Do not be distressed. Don't be anxious, a worm of Jacob. To the extent you are Yisrael, individuals who have engaged and are now enduring with God, I will help you. Declares in advance of it occurring, Yahweh, your Redeemer, the set of part one of Yisrael. That's Yahshua 41, 
13 and 14. Can I have, throw a quickie in there? Sure. I, when I saw Tola, uh, yeah. the worm, and yeah. it reminded me of, of the psalm, and I went uh, of David, the 22nd Psalm, and I went back and uh, studied it again. I think you wrote about it one time, or I read it somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, about the female, the scarlet worm. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing how he throws these in with the crimson blood and, and so forth, and how it mm-hmm. does it keep, kills itself, the female you know, protects his children, the, uh, and by nailing, basically putting herself, uh, attaches herself for life onto the tree. Yes. And uh, to save the children, and the, the babies fly away and start over. And um, but uh, yeah, what a what a metaphor! I mean, my God. Yeah, the the yeah, the tola is a uh, is an amazing uh, story uh, when you understand how the uh, uh, the, the metamorphosis of uh, of uh of it but it is a uh, uh it means to be adorned in scarlet uh it's a crimson mm-hmm. grub um it is from yala which is to have spoken wildly and uh, and rashly uh, yeah it's the a worm uh, here is uh, he is speaking really of a metamorphosis uh, in, a, in a way of what uh mm-hmm. Israel can become, and Yaakov, mm-hmm. of course, is a metaphor for Israel. But God's very yes. clear. I'm, I'm here to empower you. I'm here to restore you. I'm here to reestablish you. Uh, you here, by the way, is not a Tem, which would be you all. Uh, God has a, yeah, so a southern, southern accent. <laughs> Y'all, uh, it is just you individually. Mm-hmm. You singular. Now, yeah. You singular could be just addressing Yisrael. Yeah, that's certainly possible. So you could be, be uh, Yisrael, but if you is uh, Yisrael, you ain't many. Yes. And you're going to be a lot fewer. So to the extent that you act like Yisrael, God wants to help you. And yeah, well, as your redeemer. Uh, it's what we talked about in the last program. Why among the 13 pillars of Judaism don't we find Yahweh's name mentioned once? Never. Why don't we find that Yahweh is the redeemer of Yisrael? Why don't we find that it is Yahweh who is returning? But we don't find any of that. Yahweh also calls himself here the set-apart one. Mm-hmm. Set apart is, of course, essential. It's the set apart spirit. Israel is the people set apart to God. Yahweh's name is set apart. His mikre are kodesh. They are set apart. The Shabbat is set apart. His covenant family is set apart. Everything that's important to God is set apart, which means it is not common. If something is popular, if it is common, it is not set apart. It's hardly it. set apart. Yeah, yeah. could hardly be. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you like, if you act like Yisrael, Yahweh will be your redeemer. Not the rabbis, not Judaism, not the Talban, nor the IDF. As a result, he will deploy you to transform the world, ridding it of negative influences. Behold, I will cause you be like a restored and 
reestablished, highly valued and precise threshing sledge, double-edged to cut down the lords and the rulers who were controlling. You will thresh and trample the elevated places and grind them into powder, pulverizing them. Then you will cause the high places of worship to be like chaff. You will winnow them, and the spirit like the wind shall carry them away, as that which is associated with them is dispersed the force by the force of the gale. And you will celebrate, shouting joyously with Yahweh, then you will shine brilliantly along with the set-apart one of Yisrael. This began with, behold, Henna. We, uh, a long time ago, wrote an entire chapter. Might have even been two. I remember uh, just, that, yeah. Yeah, following through on all of the interesting places that God used Henna. Uh, it's pay attention. Uh, here and now, uh, to what is uh, occurring. Look up. And then the first thing is, I will cause you, and this is now a metaphor. Ka is like. I will cause you to be like a restored and reestablished, highly valued threshing sledge. Uh, God, we've talked about this again many times. God has three horticultural metaphors. Uh, These three metaphors all have one thing in common, which is they must be crushed, crushed yeah. before before they're useful. And mm-hmm. it is by being ground a bit, it is by uh, being under pressure, uh, chafed a while, that we develop grit and character and backbone and become uh, interesting, uh, capable individuals. The three, of course, are grain, which uh, is subject right. to the mm-hmm. threshing sledge. Uh, the yep. second is uh, grapes, which have to be crushed to make either wine or wine. grape juice. And the third and is the yeah. uh, venerable olive, which is crushed uh-huh. to make olive oil, which can produce both uh, a nutritious food, a healing ointment, uh, and also uh, a beautiful uh, light. light. Yes. yes. Yeah. Cool. And what was going to be done with this double-edged threshing sledge? Well, it's going to cut down the lords and the rulers who are controlling. It is to devour the bales. Isn't that terrific? Mm-hmm. This, this would be the, the possessive citizenry, the landowners, those who are controlling the lords and masters, the bale. And you're going to thresh and you're going to trample. Every time you read Har in a context like this, the elevated place, it is because man placed his most um, esteemed sites mm-hmm. of worship on hills. Look at the Acropolis. Yes. You know, means yes. the hill of the Acropolis is where the Parthenon was, which was mm-hmm. the temple to Athena. Uh, you uh, look to Olympus. It was Mount Olympus where they had the the Greeks had their uh, religious site devoted to the uh, the gods. It was Capitoline Hill in Rome. It's Capitol Hill in the United States with all of our shrines. This has been man's nature for some time, and so it is used as a metaphor to to say that these would be established 
religious and political institutions that uh, that are in the elevated places. They're going to be ground to powder. The high places of worship will be like chaff. And we are going to take a role in winnowing them so that the set-apart spirit, the Ruach, well, she shall blow them away. And they will be dispersed by a gale. And what's also interesting here is that rather than, uh, than grieve that the most famous and powerful people in the world have been cut down, ground up, and blown away, we're going to be celebrating it. Why? Because God's taking the earth back to the conditions that were enjoyed in Eden, and he can't do that until he scrubs the earth of religious and political and military and conspiratorial influences. And so by watching the religious and the political be ground up and blown away, we are one day closer to returning to Eden to camp out with our Heavenly Father. And so it is very much like um, if you lived in a house that uh, was infested with uh, rats. Termites and guys uh, like what? Yeah. yeah, it had the plague. Mm-hmm. And it was filled with uh, vipers and brown recluses and deadly scorpions. Uh, and so that they were crawling everywhere such that your family was uh, on the, the cusp of being um, killed. Annihilated, really? Yeah, yeah, annihilated. When all of that vermin, those toxic, toxic elements, uh, that disease is removed from your home, you're going to be celebrating. Sure. And um, that's why uh, this is presented. It's not, it's not a harsh. It's not a harsh thought. It's, it's, it's a want to. Don't you want that? Think of it for your children. Right. Up for the and children. Yeah, and you doing. can be among those celebrating. All you got to do is choose God. Yeah. You don't have to be among those ground up. Choose God. If you're listening to this program, listen to Talk what to he God. has yeah. to say and accept it. Mm-hmm. So the story does have a happy ending. It's a bright new beginning. And the question remains, will you add your name to the credits? Are you going to be part of writing the next scene? The oppressed and afflicted without political or religious status who seek water when it is scarce and they are parched, I, Yahweh, will respond to them. The God of Israel will not forsake them. Water being used both as a metaphor for cleansing us and uh, really a religious scum and the means to sustain our lives. It is also being used because a foreboding drought is going to come upon the land. This uh, um, phrase, without political or religious status, it mm-hmm. is from a very interesting Hebrew word, ebonim. Have you ever heard ebonim? Ebonim. Used elsewhere? Pardon? Yeah, uh, the ebony or, or uh, like the ebonite or something. Yeah, yeah. the ebonite. Uh, the ebonim 
they used the Hebrew term. The Ebonim mm-hmm. uh, were, uh, and it's a term that evidently Yosha used in his instruction on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount. He used the term and they, uh, they identified with it. It doesn't mean meek. It means the, uh, those without political and religious status. And these, uh, those who themselves. called yeah. themselves uh, in 30 uh, CE, uh, Abonim, they actually wrote down the words that Yosha cited uh, in his two most important speeches, Sermon on the Mount and the Olivet Discourse. And they didn't just write them down. They wrote them down in the language he spoke, Hebrew. Uh, the only thing that differentiates the uh, book of Matthew from the two books he plagiarized, uh, I don't know, it's something in the range of 80% of Matthew is plagiarized from either uh, Mark, Mark or, or Luke. Uh, the only mm-hmm. thing that's, that's not plagiarized is plagiarized because he incorporated the Hebrew status of the Ebonim to give uh, him a veneer of, uh, of credibility, doing so around 90 uh, CE under a uh, phony name. But the Ebonim uh, have merit in the future story because without them, we would not have the Sermon on the Mount. Without them, we probably would not have the Olivet Discourse. And those are really important speeches. So there will be water even in the desert and where there is water, the desert will bloom in preparation for our return to Eden. This is what God says. I will open rivers on the barren plains and in the middle of the valleys, I will open springs. I will place lakes of water in the desert. Then the parched land, suffering from drought, will have sources of water coming forth. I will bestow in the desert the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive tree. I will place in the arid plateaus the cypress and the ash, as well as the pine, all at the same time. As a result, they will see and they will know. Examine and understand by making the connection between these things that the hand of Yahweh did this. The set-apart one of Yisrael conceived and created it. Yeah, there's a, a drying out of the earth that's going to occur. So we should be anticipating a worldwide drought, certainly a regional drought uh, in the Middle East and in Israel. But the thing that that causes the desert to bloom and to become the most beautiful places on earth is water. Of course. God's got to provide water. Now, if we were to analyze all of these trees, and uh, you know, I'm not going through mm-hmm. Yashia uh, 41 for the primary purpose of, uh, of um, amplifying it to the point that we get bogged down. Um, uh, this yeah. was really supposed to be, this is an introduction to God. So this is the third volume of the introduction to God. So it serves a different purpose than, say, if we were writing uh, and observations are coming home 
and we were 10 volumes, 15 volumes into this. So I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that for those who want to take the time to look up each word, cedar, which is Eretz, acacia, which is Shita, myrtle, which is Hadas, uh, olive, which is uh, Shimon, Shimon. Uh, and it's actually uh, Etz, which is the tree of Etz. the olive. Um, I got you. The cypress is Barosh. The pine is Tarahar. All at the same time is from Yada. If you were to analyze each of these, I am certain there's a story in them. Well, for me, yeah. the thing that is the big story, um, it is one of the insights that is unique to the Yada Yawa series. Uh-huh. Uh, is that the story of the Garden of Eden is told because we're returning to it. That the purpose of Sukkah is that we take six steps to God, and on Sukkah, the seventh, we camp out together with him in a restored Gan Eden. And so this is the story of us being with God in Eden, being exiled from Eden by not listening to God, uh, doing exactly as he said for us not to do. And then ultimately, 6,000 years later, we return to the Gan Eden. And for that to occur, Yahweh has to restore the earth. And here, instead of religious shrines that he has uh, toppled, he's going to plant trees, and it's going to water them, the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, the olive, the cypress, and the ash, and the pine, all at the same time. So that would be an interesting exercise, just to see where what do yeah. all those words mean and where do they lead. I'll see what I can come up this week and share okay. it with you, and then you can see what yeah. it's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a result, they will see and know. So this is a really an interesting uh, combination of words. As a result, Lama'an. Lama'an is a process of, of making connections to understand. They will see, ra'ah, they will perceive. Mm-hmm. They will yada, they will know, they will realize. They will wasim, examine. And sakal, they will understand gaining insights. Yada, making the connection between things. That the hand of Yahweh did this. So God wants us to think our way to them. As a result, they will see, they will know, they will examine, they will understand, they will make the connection. And then come to recognize and acknowledge that Yahweh, the set-apart one of Yisrael, conceived and created this. The intent is to reveal that once all of the political, religious, military, and societal pollution is removed from the earth, it's going to be returned to the conditions that we experienced by we, when mankind, uh, Adam and Chawa, and Yahweh, and the Gan Eden, which is Garden of Great Joy, experienced 6,000 years ago. 
we are returning where our relationship began. But not everyone is going to be on the same page. Not everyone's going to see it the same way. Rabbis have a nasty habit of claiming the things of God for themselves. So let the naysayers protest, claiming that their arguments and laws supersede God's testimony. If nothing else, it'll be entertaining. After all, Elia has to have somebody to poke fun of. Well, well, the following dialogue is in Yahweh's voice. There are overtones of the wit and the grit of Elia, certainly in these words. Discrediting Yisrael's religious and political establishment in a sarcastic manner is familiar territory for the most provocative of Yahweh's spokesmen. You know, the, uh, uh, the priests of Baal, the Lord, Baal, and yeah. Asherah, uh-huh. the Queen of Heaven and, and Mother of God, mm-hmm. do you know who they worked for? They were working uh, for so Jezebel queen, uh, and, uh, yeah, and yeah. Hop, the Jezebel. king and queen of, of Israel. <laughs> That's who they were working for. <laughs> okay. so, uh, and you, you want to complain? Yeah, yeah I mean, Israel's been religious for yeah, a long time. Yeah, when somebody says, oh, Judaism didn't exist back then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, it existed... Uh, you weren't even uh, uh, 50 days removed from the exodus, and you were already yeah. being religious. Bowing down to a, yeah, to a bail. Yeah, so bring bail. forward and present your argument. Yeah, bring forward and present your argument. Approach and offer your contention and your dispute, your accusation, whatever grievance you may have. Gather together and bring forth your petitions and your supporting rationale, your evidence buttressing your disputes. Ask the one who counseled and advised Jacob. He's been at this a little longer than they have. Let them choose to come together, compile everything they know, present what uh, they have, and let them inform us, reporting a reasonable explanation to us of what's going to occur during the upcoming meetings and when they're going to transpire. Can they speak intelligently about the most important things or report what happened in the beginning so that we can examine and consider it and so that we can know, should we choose to become aware, what will occur in the future? and then be able to recognize what will transpire during the last days. Perchance, might we hear of things to come? Oh, methinks Yahweh is being very sarcastic. Yeah, just a little. Yeah, put up or shut up, boys. The Talmud is filled with your arguments. Let me have them. Come on, guns blazing. Bring it on. Give me your positions, all of your supporting material. Uh, But keep in mind, I'm the one that counseled and advised Jacob, and he turned out pretty good. Compile everything you have. Let us know what you think. Inform us. Report your explanation. Tell us 
what's going to occur on the upcoming meetings? Oh, which would they be? Kapuram? Suka? We have to know where they are first, yeah. Where are they going to transpire? <laughs> oh, how about uh, October 2nd, um, 2033, 622 p.m. The sun sets in Yisrael, year 6,000, Yah. So that uh, Yah will, be, will have restored the earth and we return to the garden on Sukkah. Uh, just five days later. Uh, beginning, by the way, on a natural Shabbat. Can these boys speak intelligently? Can they report to us what happened in the beginning? I did. Can they? Can they examine anything I've said and come up with, with an explanation? Perchance. As I said, this is put up or shut up. And since there's no validity to much of anything the rabbis have argued, and since not a single one of the legions of them was a prophet or has spoken for Yahweh ever, they're going to perform as well as the 850 advocates of Baal, the Lord, and Asherah, the Queen of Heaven, did before Aliyah. That didn't turn out very well for them. In fact, after having read his divine taunt, I know where Eliot got his material. And of course we know the consequence of pretending to speak for God. Mm-hmm. All 850 mm-hmm. were killed, as will be the case with every rabbi. Now keep in mind, we ought not be threatening or encouraging violence. As always, when confronting evil, we must use our words, not our weapons. I am simply reporting what Yah was going to do following this encounter. It does not take a prophet to predict the inevitable. Now, the interesting thing here about God's taunt is that the rabbis, if the rabbis had done, this is really interesting, I think, if the rabbis had done what we are doing. They would know the answer to every one of these questions. Of course. They they could explain what has and will occur, accurately presenting every important step along the way. They would know when, where, how, and why Yahweh fulfilled the first four mikre, and even when, where, why, and with whom he will honor his commitment to fulfill the final two. They would even know their fate. Heck, they all they would have to do is read these books with a desire to learn rather than argue. And they would be right for a change. All they'd have to do is read with an open mind and they'd be right for a change. Wow. Cliff, if you're listening, that's the... Uh, Orthodox uh, Jew who um, is still clinging to the myth of the Talmud. Stop arguing. Start listening. If a goy, principal language isn't Hebrew, who grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, grew up as a Christian, grew up as, uh, as 
political here in the United States. Um, if he can figure this out, why can't you? I know the answer to every one of these questions. Why don't you? In fact, you can't answer any of them. But the difference between me and you is that I take Yahweh's word seriously and you take your own seriously. Yes, Yahweh revealed the answers to every one of these questions. And he does so uh, throughout his Torah and Prophets. And yet, since Yahweh realizes that the religious types value their words above those he inspired, God is aware that their arrogance will compel them to make fools of themselves. Reprising what occurred with Elia, and likely in his presence as he returns as one of the two witnesses, the mm-hmm. rabbis will be offered yet another intermission to see if they can find their G-D, the Adonai Hashem, the Holy One, blessed be He, in the latrine. Or perhaps he's taking a nap, snoozing along with them. If you read the story of Elia, you'll know that yeah, that's know exactly what he accused them of uh, uh, doing. We'll, we'll wait. We'll wait right here. Maybe your God is uh, is taking a poop. Uh, we'll let him get done. Let's not hurry him. Perhaps he's taking a nap. You know, he's an old fella. Let's uh, let's give him some time. Oh, that's uh, that's exactly. Uh, what God is saying. This is a taunt. The more we read into this, the more I see Yahweh using Elia as one of his final two witnesses. Uh, in fact, we know he is going to use them, but I think he is going to use Elia to taunt and torment rabbis. Um, those, uh, These are the very questions I would ask them, uh, not only because I know the answers, because I realize they don't. They will scour their Talmuds for clues, but since the rabbis they have venerated above God have none, it'll all be for naught. The next sentence hmm. begins with Nagad. Report and explain. Reveal, providing an informed and rational response to that which is to come. And who will return? In the end, and even from our brethren, who will arrive? So that we may come to realize that surely your gods are also right, good, even better. Or perhaps you are wrong. Perhaps you're incorrect, uninformed, irrational, maybe immoral and of no use. And free of your influence, we should choose to be disappointed and disgusted, especially considering the consequence. Now that we've heard all of this and we can see it for ourselves, what a closing statement. Or perhaps you were wrong. You're misinformed, irrational, immoral, and incorrect. And free of your influence, we should choose to be disappointed and disgusted now that we've heard all of this 
and can see it for ourselves. Yep, God is toying with them and then will humiliate them. Well, look how many souls have been wasted. Why shouldn't he? Yeah, and you know, let's be clear. God goes to great lengths to condemn Christianity, calls it the plague of death. Oh, yeah. Certainly. And mocks the Christian New Testament. He uh, certainly um, speaks of Islam as satanic, and it is. But the religion God spends the most time attacking, the religion that he is most vehemently opposed to is Judaism because it has been the biggest foe of his people. And so he's mocking rabbis here, humiliating them deliberately. And now that we have seen and heard all of this for ourselves, should we ought not be disgusted? Shouldn't we be disappointed? I know when Mm -hmm. I first learned that Paul was a scallywag and a complete fraud, I was disappointed, and then I was disgusted. And if you're a religious Jew, yeah, you should. You should go through that exact same response. God is walking you through the correct response to Judaism, because until you give up Judaism, you have no chance of being with him. If you're a religious Jew, you can't even say his name. And if you can't say his name, you are not going to be among those who greet him upon his return. The remnant of Yisrael will see and hear again. The words of God will resonate in the souls and the hearts and in the minds of this remnant. It is a time of reawakening and return, of liberation and enlightenment, of truth for a change. The rabbis will be outed. Their lies will be hanging out like dirty laundry for everyone to see. Kippas, Tillets, Teflon, Kittles, and Raquel flapping in the breeze. The filthy game of Judaism will finally be exposed. Rabbis will be seen as frauds. And that is the final answer to the Jewish question. So only this remains. Will you accept it? before it's too late? Or do you intend to go down with the Talmud? Behold, here and now, you are all worthless. And your work, your laborious rituals, and your achievements are fleeting and empty breath. The one choosing to be with you is also an abomination, detestable, and repulsive. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. Yeah. Don't hang out with these guys. That is correct. So the rabbis, they're all worthless. He's, he's tested them. He's asked them these questions. This test today, they will fail it tomorrow. And so God's saying that since they're of no value, the things they have told you to do, your laborious rituals, all of your actions, efforts, achievements, they're worthless. 
they're, they're as fleeting as empty breath. And what is a spoken word? A moment after it's gone. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did it. But God's going a step further here. That's why I think you reacted, uh, Kirk, is that he's saying it's not just the rabbis. It's the ones choosing to be with them. They're all an abomination. They're all detestable. They're all repulsive. Toaba. Toaba is the word that Yahweh uses through Ezekiel as well to describe Judaism. Judaism, from God's perspective, is Toaba. It's an abomination, repulsive, detestable, reprehensible. So now we all know what Yahweh thinks of rabbis and of the religious. And since Yahweh is a huge proponent of Yahudem, it should be obvious that unlike the Herodim, he does not equate being Jewish with Judaism. Now, if you do not know that rabbis define being Jewish with Judaism, then you don't know how big a difference there is between Yahweh and the rabbis. To emigrate into Israel today, the rabbis have total autonomy, total say, who can and cannot come in. And while they will claim that their, their criterion is that your mother be Jewish, which isn't Yahweh's criteria. He says nothing about such a thing. Uh, ethnicity is uh, is a non-factor, really. You have to have the endorsement of an ultra-Orthodox rabbi to be able to immigrate mm-hmm. into Israel. You can't come in as a reform or a progressive or as a conservative Jew, even an Orthodox Jew, you have to come in as an ultra-Orthodox Jew. And the reason they do that is because they have a parliamentary system. They want more votes cast for uh, their entitlements so that they can Mm -hmm. be paid not to work, to be religious all day. Uh, So they define being Jewish with Judaism. It is uh, one of the things that was uh, thrown at me constantly in Prophet of Doom where I degrade, expose, and condemn, excoriate uh, everything to do with Islam. I completely condemn the behavior of Muhammad, uh, the words of the Quran, uh, the first Muslims, uh, what is said about Allah, all of it. And so I was called racist and a bigot. I said, no, wait, wait a minute. Uh, I didn't mention race here. Uh, I'm sorry, but I didn't ever mention race. I'm speaking of an idea. The idea is the religion of Islam. There is nothing bigoted, nothing racist about uh, about that. Well, the same thing is true with uh, with uh, Judaism and the rabbis. Uh, they equate uh, attacking and criticizing the Jewish religion, Judaism, with anti-Semitism. But anti-Semitism but, is opposed to the name, and there's no one more opposed to the name than the rabbis. And the, and the rabbis, and, yes. 
And the fact of the matter is that uh, we are among the greatest proponents of ethnic Jews and the the most outspoken critic of Judaism. Mm -hmm. And so this notion that you are anti-Semitic when you condemn Judaism is the kind of excuse that a person who cannot justify their religion will make. It's the, it's the thing that someone will say that can't engage in rational argument. Mm-hmm. They uh, have to use an ad hominem attack, and they will slander the messenger by calling the messenger um, a racist when it does not apply. There, there is no one on the planet or aggressively exposing and condemning Judaism than I. And there is no one who is devoted to awakening and saving Jews. Yehudim, yes. 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 Now, that is as a person. Yahweh is the biggest opponent of Judaism and the biggest proponent of Jews. But the very fact that Yahweh has set the bar, set the example, Jews are his chosen people. He is the God of Israel. He is returning to Israel. He is coming back to restore his relationship with Israel. He is building his home in Israel. The covenant was with Israel, and yet he is vehemently opposed to Judaism. So you cannot accuse God of being an anti-Semite. And he is aggressive anti-Judaism. Yes. Now, should uh, you be uh, of the mistaken belief that the object of Yahweh's sarcastic, sarcastic scorn is other than today's rabbis, all of whom failed God's test, then you will be counted among the repulsive and abhorrent. When it comes to pretending to speak for God and then changing his name and message, the Almighty... Yeah, he is not very accommodating. If you're wearing curly cues, excuse me, payots, although some claim, especially in Yiddish, the mother tongue of the Herodim, that the plural of payot is payees and not payoth, and Lord knows I don't want to unnecessarily offend the offensive, I'd suggest a razor along with a match for your morning suit and the rest of your religious garb. God sees it as I do, repulsive. And that's not good when the intent is to form a relationship. God is a remedy. And as always, he will work with someone who is committed to sharing his words. But this time will be different. And that is because God could not find a Yehud, a Jew, who was willing to listen to him or speak for him. I called into action. I have aroused to accomplish, and I have motivated, awakened, and raised up, making obvious by exposing and presenting into public engagement someone from the north 
I view as a hidden treasure. And he has come forth for you. From the rising of the sun and the first light of the day, he will consistently and literally call out, issuing an invitation in my name. Then he will pursue the government and religious officials as if they were malleable and fermenting mud. And as a potter formulates, frames, and conceptualizes an assault on mucky clay. I think we're going to begin there uh, next week, uh, Kirk, because uh, that one's a... um, Okay. God is saying here after condemning. Now I just I'll read through it one last time, just so we okay. we're we're properly prepared for next week. After saying that that Judaism had poisoned his people, God says, "I called into action someone from the north." That means I called someone and aroused them to accomplish this mission who was not from Israel. Mm -hmm. From God's point of view, this individual is a hidden treasure, someone awaiting discovery. And this individual that I called into action, he has come forth for you. He's arrived on the scene for your benefit. He gets up early from sunrise getting uh, up at the first appearance of light early in the morning. And he will consistently and literally call out, issuing an invitation, Kara. He will read aloud, reciting the summons, proclaiming a welcome to the meeting in my my name. name. Hallelujah. And then he will pursue the government and religious officials because it is, there are two aspects of this mission. Again, two sides Mm -hmm. of the shekel. There's the heads and the tails. And the head is the one that is observant, listens, thinks, and comes to know Yahweh based upon what he had to say about himself, what he is offering and expecting in return. The tail, well, that's the religious, the political, the conspiratorial that are estranged from God and lead others away from God. They have to be exposed and condemned for there to be a reconciliation of God's people. At this point, there are not enough Yehudim and Yisraelites who are free from religion and politics Mm-hmm. To have the day of reconciliation, Job Kippurim, meet Yahweh's satisfaction. Our job, and Yahweh always chooses to work through people, he chose us to do this for you, is to awaken more of you so that there are more of you that are greeting God on the Mikra of Kippurim. That's why we're here. And For us to do that, we have to conceive, formulate, 
frame and conceptualize a full-scale assault on Israeli politics, prevents it. Yeah. on Judaism, on progressives, of the liberal approach to government, we have to expose it and condemn it because until God's people, at least some of God's people, begin to question it, separate themselves from it, they're never going to be open and receptive to accepting Yahweh by name, by reputation, by Torah teaching and guidance through the covenant by way of the Mikra. So we must do both. And we're here to do both. We were called into action to do both. And we love this job. I can't wait to next so, week. So this next week we will, uh, we will continue. Yes, this is uh, um, about two-thirds of the way through this remarkable uh, chapter. Um, just every day there's something more to learn. And one of the things that has been so wonderful, Kirk, about this rewriting process is that um, the last time I edited an introduction to God, it was one volume, now it's three. Uh, and it, uh, the translations, I don't think were all that good. Um, certainly we've learned a lot and, and do a much better job now. But the fact of the matter is that we missed about, oh, I don't know, 80% of what God was saying. The, so many of the insights didn't resonate because we were not prepared to hear them. Yeah. You know, you, you aren't prepared to have a discussion about relativity and about how energy and matter are the same things but different amounts of the same thing or how time flows at different rates uh, relative to the observer when you're two mm-hmm. years old. That is not a conversation you're going to have with a two-year-old. You know, the annihilation of God's people is not a two-year-old discussion. We have to grow. We have to learn. We must build a foundation of knowledge and understanding of who Yahweh is, what he is offering, what he is instructing and guiding and teaching before we're prepared, really, to, to, um, to deal develop, with it. Yeah. Yeah, to develop yeah. the capacity to interpret and understand and evaluate uh, his testimony. So mm-hmm. it's an ongoing process. Um, and that's been the beauty of having written all the way through uh, the two volumes of Coming Home and the five volumes of Observations and the four volumes of Questioning Paul and the six volumes of uh, Yada Yada, and now coming back to rewrite an introduction to God, so much of, of what we have learned provides the foundation for far more insightful analysis of God's mm-hmm. testimony. And passages we just skipped over because we didn't know how they apply, well, now they resonate. Now they open um, right up. Yeah, I think it's a good example of this is that we will come to, and, and Kirk, you uh, reviewed uh, the Chronicles, two, Second Chronicles passage where 
Solomon was providing the first and original true Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. And, right. uh, you know, he speaks of the arrival of the, of the Nacre and, and of course, yeah, why God was using him and what it. his people should do relative to him. And so you decided, all right, uh, I, I, I can't find error with the way the words are translated. Let me see how the religious have managed to interpret this. Yeah. And what you found is that, well, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of, uh, of Bible commentaries. And, uh, and now with the Internet, the uh, with every, yes. every preacher uh, has his own little commentary on every nuance trying to impress people. But not a single one. Take a whack at that. No. They, no. They just skip it like it ain't there. They didn't there. Yeah. It was, I was amazed. I was absolutely don't know how to process it. It's why yeah. God can ask the rabbis those questions and recognize you know, that not a one da, of them da, can da. answer them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, oh. I gave you the answers, uh-huh. but you're so full of yourselves you don't know them. Well, you have to read where he wrote them. Yeah, then they're going to do that. Yeah, I've got to yeah. get your nose out of your Talmud. I will share something with you next week, which is so cool, in 4126 about a word and show you how the language uh, Yahweh invented Hebrew for this story. Yes. Yeah. I'm absolutely yeah. convinced they, you could use any language you want to buy butter and, and do whatever. But this was, this whole language was written to tell his story to his people. And when you go back to the old pictographs, which I wouldn't suggest you do it, it's too hard, maybe too hard, <laughs> but there's some things in it that are so great and I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it there. For 4126, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot it over to you later. But you'll, it is, I'm almost, uh, it's just a nuance. He puts little nuggets in there that you just, you have to look for. But wow, that is yes. so amazing. They're full of they're jewels. Not. Full of jewels yeah. with wonderful facets that can be examined in so many different ways. And the longer yeah. we're at it, the more we're able to see how beautiful the language and the message really are. And, you know, I'm quite convinced that is pleased. I mean, I really am. I'm excited by uh, the quality of the three volumes of an introduction to God. I I just think this is is so insightful and and, uh, so pertinent for today, so important for God's people. So I'm justifiably, I think, proud of it. And I am positive that as we uh, move closer to Yahweh's return and um, uh, continue to learn more. We'll look back one day and say, well, you know, we missed a lot there. There was a lot more. <laughs> this is deep. This is deep. But, this is good. Though. But, but I don't Fun. think we're going to be disappointed by what we what we are leaving up. As I look over my shoulder and, and see three feet of, of books, that's just spine to spine. You know, three yeah. feet of, of, uh, of books in the, in the rewrite. Um, we have provided a lot of answers. We've given you a lot of encouragement. We've given you reasons to turn to Yahweh, to accept him, to embrace his name, to know and appreciate what he is asking from us, to celebrate what he is offering to us. Um, I think we've done the job that he asked us to do. And we will continue to uh, do it with our last breath to the very end. 
um, yeah, sure. recognizing that we would like and Yahweh would like Yom Kippurim to be more celebration than agony. So may Yah bless. We'll look forward to being with you this time next week. Hopefully the world will not be at, uh, at war. Um, and hopefully that uh, sane minds will somehow be found among the dunderheads. May Yahweh bless. Look forward to being with you next week. Good night. Shabbat shalom. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.